Welcome to Dr. 3, a Hearthstone podcast dedicated to giving you explosive growth and climbing the standard rank ladder. I'm your host, Daring Alkaline, and along with me are my fellow hosts, Dragon Rider and Major Death. So let's get into last week's poll question. Mage, what did we have last week? We had a good poll question with a lot of responses, so thank you. We asked you, after hearing about the rotating core set, do you think a rotating core set is needed in Hearthstone? We had... 44 votes and a resounding 77.3% said yes, it is needed. 15.9% said maybe or were unsure. And only 6.8% said no, it wasn't needed. We had uh, a few replies as well that were that were good. Um, uh, our one was... Uh, from William Jensen, who said the churn could be bad for casual players, even if you just have access to new cards. You're increased the learning relearning curve by removing familiar cards along with along with the new cards from the expansions. But Hat uh, Ridiculous Hat responded saying the fact that it's free makes that probably a little bit easier. Along with the auto the auto deck builder as well makes that pretty pretty handy as well. So you just can kind of build a deck with the cards that you have and then and then you can go and then uh i liked deck tech's response to to our question he said is it needed no is this good and much better for hearthstone yes so i think i think that's as succinctly as we can put it how how it seems most people feel about yeah this. i replied to that too i was like yes this is this is perfect that's like is the game going to die if this isn't implemented? No. Is it good for the health overall for the game? Yes. So I think that's... Uh, I for yeah. a lot of reasons, I think it's good for the game, which I think we kind of talked about when it was announced and stuff. We talked about it last week, but yeah, that's definitely a great reply. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely one of those things that you can definitely learn from your competition that's been around for 20 plus years. So, all right. So we will have another um, poll question at the end of the show. So let's move on to news, which this week we have BlizzCon online this weekend. We have Hearthstone events and panels each day. So we have opening ceremonies on Friday, February 19th at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific. Expected to have a Hearthstone-related announcement. Hearthstone tweeted a 30-second tease video this morning with an explorer holding a torch and a large horde logo. Yeah, and it said, Quill you be ready? So, uh, and there was some orc chanting in the background. It sounded like there's, it feels very horde-ish. So if you've played World of Warcraft, um, there's definitely some vibes that you got from that teaser video. Yeah. Yeah, and I think for me, um, Mage, you know, let me know when I was streaming today that it was out, so I watched it. Um, I, I feel to me, I felt like there was some dungeon vibes, uh, like now I can't remember what they were called, Razorfen Razor Crawl, Fen yeah, Crawl and Razorfen Razor Downs. Downs. Yeah. Yes, which uh, for those who haven't played World of Warcraft, dungeons were just like five person, uh, like that's where you go and fight big bosses and stuff like that. It's not like just open world. Uh, So there could be some sort of like dungeon type experience that they could do with this. I feel like even maybe like solo content stuff, but interesting. Uh, But you know, it's, it's Hearthstone. And even if you think you know what it is, you don't know what it is. So who knows? They they could, they could take an interesting take on whatever it is they're going to do. And, Suddenly, it could be a lot more zany than we were expecting. <laughs> it's always going to be more zany than we expected. Um, yes. So I'm excited. I don't have any real speculations right now. I'm just, uh, it's it's coming this Friday. I can be patient. <laughs> or uh, we're we're starting this Friday. I assume we are getting the, I know we're getting the, the set announcement. So it should be very interesting to say the least. Fingers crossed. Um 
it's going to be a good good weekend. So. so, so that text right below there is what was in the tweet that went along with the video, yep. saying "Danger lurks among the thorns and thistles." Muster your strength and honor for the BlizzCon reveal this Friday. Exactly. Yep. So immediately following the opening ceremony. Hearthstone Deep Dive takes a look at what's coming in 2021 with members of Dev Team and Brian Kibler. Starts roughly at 610 uh, Eastern Time, 310 Pacific. On Saturday, February 20th, Hearthstone Q&A with the Dev Team starts at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 p.m. Pacific. Other, uh, other events include a Battlegrounds exhibition, Streamer Showdown, art panel, and other community events. And then we have Alec Dawson says, Dev mulling over, reverting, nerfs to a lot of cards. He said, what, like 40? Was it 30? 30, okay, yeah. Sorry, I didn't have the The, tweet on. The full tweet is is on the... Yeah, oh, yep, yep. I'm sorry, I didn't scroll down. Yep, with the creation of the core set, Alec Dawson posted on Twitter that the team has decided to completely, or at least partially, revert a large number of card nerfs. From Alec, had a great te- uh, great meeting this week where we, re- where we reverted or partially reverted some of the nerfs for rotation. It'll be more aggressive than years past with a lot of cards rotating, so expect a high number of changes um, around 30. Should be fun. Nuts. <laughs> smiley face at the end, too. Yes. Can't forget the little smiley face. I'm sorry. <laughs> smiley face for does, sure. Does that not get you even just that much more excited about what we're going to see when the when we rotate out basic and classic and go to this core set? Because yeah, we've we've seen in the Hall of Fame era of Hearthstone, you know, when they Hall of Famed Ganon Baku and the kind of corresponding cards that went along with those, that's kind of the most changes we've seen at any one time with regards to, like, rotating rotating stuff out and and different things. I think, like, during a balance patch, it seems like six to eight cards tends to be uh, like on the high end of card chain number of card changes in, in a in a balance patch, and they're talking about thirty. Yeah, it should to so many cards, so so many cards, and then the fact that we have twenty nine like brand new cards coming is because of the corset. I mean, it's going to. I have to feel like it's going to feel completely just crazy for a bit. It's going to be nuts. It's just literally going to be like. You were, you're not going to know what's up and down anymore. <laughs> it's going to be very crazy for a period of time. But one of the interesting that, things that is to me is that they're going, that, that some of these cards that they're going to unnerf or partially unnerf could be going to the core set too. So think about that. Like you could be getting an unnerfed version of a card. Um, but be due to its surroundings or, you know, is no longer busted like it was because something existed. So I'm, it's just exciting. We don't know what it is and that's, what's exciting, right? The, like the anticipation and like the game is going to be very, very fresh, um, when rotation hits, like the game is going to be a level of new that we haven't seen really. I mean, like there's not like the core and basic set has always been there. So like, you know, obviously there have been changes made hall of fame, yada, yada. Um, but now we get something that can be completely different from what the game looked like at launch. So like, it's just that's just super interesting so yeah i i think for me the the coolest thing about him saying this is like i said i'm maybe some of these are wild cards maybe all or or half or two-thirds i don't know we don't know anything like you said but a lot of these could be for the core set and i think the thing that i like the most about this is that it means that they're really 
taking an in-depth look at this. They're not just saying, hey, cool, we have this core set and we're just keeping all the cards as is. Like, and we'll figure it out as we go. They're, they're looking at it ahead of time. They're really looking at it in depth to see how those cards are actually going to work and hopefully will kind of work or be included in decks in ways that they want them to be, which I feel like they haven't done that as much in the past. So I think for me, that's the most exciting thing about this. I would, I would also just quick, quickly say, even though this isn't necessarily, um, you know, something we speak to a great deal, I think for somebody that, plays more wild than standard, this should be really exciting as well, because it, it does the, the fact that there's going to be the, this new kind of core set, the, this core set that can be used in wild. You've got all these card, these new cards coming in. You have card nerfs that are going to be undone. I think there's a very good potential that it's going to have a, a, a substantial impact in wild, which is, really difficult to do right now given the number of cards that are available over there and the and the power level associated with them so it does sort of look like they they have like you said took this like holistic approach of these are all the cards that are going to be available and you know because they've decided which ones are going to be in this core set they've kind of had to look at all the wild cards in addition to all the cards that would normally be in standard and then made adjustments to a whole bunch of these cards. So even if, even if it doesn't, those cards don't necessarily end up in the core set in standard, they still could potentially have a, a substantial impact in wild. Yeah, it's going to be, <laughs> I assume wild's going to get really nutty. So, um, so we have blizzard posted infographic with year of the Phoenix stats. So, Apparently, we had 23,539,539 players active worldwide in Hearthstone in the year 2020. Um, players, That's a lot. Yeah. That's a lot. <laughs> almost 20. It's 23.5 million players. Yeah, that's pretty pretty good. Players spent six six hundred sixty nine point two million hours in Battlegrounds. Uh, Demon Hunter played 489.4 million matches in all modes. Mozaki. So they were popular then. Is what shocker. You're yeah. They, they, they played a few games. I wondered, would they, did they release any other stats as to like, what's the, no, just, just Demon the, Hunter. The, like the next, the next most played class across all the modes. No, they didn't. They did not. That was, was just one that they cherry picked and. <laughs> I, I'd be like the next one was like two two million. <laughs> uh, I not I know that wouldn't be so. Mozaki is the most player played duels hero, and we saw a total of sixty one point four two million duels matches played. Arena had twenty two hundred ninety one point four million matches played, and Tavern Brawl is almost as popular as Arena. With two hundred seventy-one point two million matches played, so yeah, very interesting stats to see, especially about twenty twenty. I mean, I don't know if we've gotten numbers like this before, but like, I feel like probably that those numbers are higher this year than they have been in the past. So, all right, so XR holds Twitter Q and A, and we'll link you to the out of cards page. Um, where they kind of get it all together. So he talked about core set, communication, battlegrounds, and our collections. In talking about the core set, always a bit nervous for a large scale change. Core set was always going to be viewed as a good thing to the engaged audience. The thing I'm most excited about is that after you're done with the class leveling experience to 10, you have something that represents Hearthstone. Regarding class identities, class identities still matter. They don't want all the classes to feel the same. Priests have changed a bit. So, re uh, regarding cards, they'd prefer to keep cards the same in Standard and Wild. Cards should be the same across the game outside of Classic Mode. 
Um, and regarding card updates, they're always looking at player allowing players to upgrade normal cards to golden. So I know that's been talked about for a while now. So okay, then Blizzard announces 2021 Grandmasters info. Uh, 2021 will be divided into two seasons. Season one starts April 9th. I am super excited about that. I can't like this is like the dull time when I don't have Fridays to to watch Grandmasters. So um season lasts eight weeks with the final matches uh final week June fourth through sixth being the season one playoff. Uh game format changes every other week. Conquest first, then specialist. Last hero standing, and week seven is back to conquest. I don't like specialist. I, I'm just gonna go out there and say it. I am not a <laughs> did not like the first season of Grandmasters as specialist. I eh, it just it doesn't feel as good as um as either last hero standing or conquest. Like those two, even with like sideboards, you still only bring in one deck and like swapping out five cards like if you're a control deck like doesn't necessarily give you an answer to a counter so but that's just my personal feelings yeah i specialist is definitely its own little thing i will say i feel like there are definitely more people who are not a fan of it than people who are um this is really interesting that they're kind of doing these different formats like this. Although I feel like at least specialist is a little bit closer to other formats that people are a little bit more used to. Uh, in some of the past grandmasters, I, I know I've, I've heard some other interviews and other grandmasters talking about it before. Like one of them, they did like a all nine classes and then they did like this really weird band thing. And it just, it felt really weird and awkward and, and even the grandmasters were like, yeah, the the way they did it just didn't make sense. So I feel like this is an approach that allows for a couple of different formats without being like too weird and crazy that the players are just like, what is this? So it might not be the greatest format, but it may be still a little better than some other formats they've tried before. I really enjoyed the the uh, twenty twenty season format where the first three weeks were the uh, the round robin or the uh, Swiss tournaments, and then you got the top eight on stream, and that placed you in division A or B, and like that made a lot of sense to me. And that happened in the first three weeks, and then the 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 second weeks or the the last four weeks were the um, playoffs and um you know all their matches against everyone else in the division so um but i i'm interested i'm gonna watch it and uh i look forward to having weekly competitive hearthstone back so the top uh eight players advance to the playoffs players nine to nine through twelve aren't relegated but done with the season play bottom four in each race region are automatically relegated Ahead of season two, the four open slots per region will be filled with top point earners from the 2021 Masters Tour. So, um, yeah, it's interesting. So they're they're going to four people relegating. Like started out with two, then last year was three, and now this season it's four. So. <laughs> soon it's just like yeah and the entire division <laughs> division b is gone see you later <laughs> did you win great you're still here everybody else get out, get out. <laughs> uh so um i can't say that that is it interesting but i uh my heart goes out to the players who get relegated because it's it's a it's a hard track back in, unless you're just saying, <laughs> especially in the European re- region. He's just saying got relegated, and he was in the top three anyway, so he just got right back in. So, um, that was a heartbreaking loss too. That that if you didn't see um that game, the the relegation ma- match of just saying, like that was a heartbreaking game to watch. So, 
Um, anyways, I'm ranting. Uh, Dragon Rider, why don't you give us an update on your qualifier status? Sure. Uh, so, yeah, we've had a couple full weekends now of qualifiers. There is not going to be any qualifiers this coming weekend because they're they're not doing any because of the BlizzCon line. So the following weekend uh, will be the last weekend for the Masters Tour Ironforge. And at this point, with only one weekend left, if I go based on my results so far, it's not looking very good for me. Uh, but I've still been trying all these qualifiers. I've uh, been you know, trying as many as I can over the weekend. I feel like this last weekend, I did a lot better in terms of a, a bit of my results, but also uh, my like how I handled it mentally. I talked last week about how it was really hard and you know, I was I was struggling a lot, but uh, this past weekend I kind of went into it with a like mindset of okay, this is a puzzle, and I'm going to figure it out. You know, is it my deck choices that I need to change? Is it just a couple of card choices that I need to change within the decks? Uh, is it my play that I need to improve on a bit? Is it actually just you know my like men my, my mental state that's holding me back? You know. How much is a combination of all of it? Uh, so I kind of took that approach with it and definitely enjoyed them a lot more, I think, when I was doing that instead of just like, well, by loss, I suck and this is miserable and, and being unhappy about it. Um, I think my best, I got to uh, round five a couple of times, which is about round 64, round of 64, maybe round of 32. So pretty good results but not quite good enough to to qualify um but yeah i'm just gonna keep trying and and seeing i i i feel like i change lineups a lot so maybe that's something i'll work on is probably trying to stick with one lineup and uh see how it goes over the course of multiple so i can get a better sample size of how a lineup does so that's probably what i will focus on for the last weekend but yeah, unfortunately, I don't have any like better news. <laughs> maybe, maybe uh, one of these episodes, I could actually be like, "Yeah, I qualified. It was fantastic." <laughs> well, we we hope you do, but like, it, you're out there grinding those, and I think like to get five wins is pretty impressive. To round five, like I think that's pretty impressive. Um, to make it through that many rounds undefeated in a tournament, so like. I know it's not where you want to be, but it, you're making progress. And even, like, <laughs> it's asking a lot to qualify. So, like, it's yeah. it's it's a big, big goal that you gave yourself. But, like, you're, <laughs> like, I think you're doing, you're, you have the right attitude about it. So, like, just keep grinding it and you'll, I think you can make it. So. Love it. Having having the kind of week this weekend off might be a nice kind of mental break from doing that the last couple of weeks. Give you a little bit of extra time to prepare for that final weekend. And uh, exactly, like I said last week we're 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 rooting for you. Exactly. Thank you. Yeah, I'm uh, definitely going to keep trying, and you know, if I don't make it, then I don't. But I feel like I can do it. I I know back in for the. Um, the Las Vegas Masters Tour that happened uh, early in 2020, or was that, years are blowing together. Was that early 19? Now I don't even remember anymore. <laughs> was that was did dog did dog win that one? I think so. It was like the I yeah. think it was the first or second Masters Tour of the year, so it was really early on. Um, but that one, I actually did go all the way to a finals of a qualifier, but I lost out in the finals, so I didn't qualify for the Masters Tour Vegas. Um, so, you know, I've kind of gotten that far before, so I know I can do it, but it's just a matter of, you know, that's these singly limb best of threes are just very challenging. They're They're brutal in terms of, like, you have to have a lot of things work well for you all at the same time to be able to... To, to do well and, and qualify. So I think um, Donkey, for those who don't know, it's a donkey.top is the website. Um, he has a bunch of deck lists and stuff on there, but 
he actually has a bunch of stats of the people playing the qualifiers. And I looked myself up. I've played like 26 qualifiers so far just for this, um, this tournament. And it showed I had like a 44 point something percent win rate. But there was somebody at the very top who had a 70 point like 63 percent win rate who actually still was not qualified. Damn. So that just Damn. shows. Yeah. Yeah. They they had hit, I think, three top eights, but then a 70% get... win rate in all of these qualifiers. I think they played like 35 or something, and they have not qualified. Like, that just shows how brutal these these are in terms of you really have to hit a lot of factors for it to do well. So Yeah, and they're still one top eight away from qualifying yeah. with not too many left. So Yeah. <laughs> well, best of luck to you. We are like Mage said, we are rooting for you and we uh we hope you can make it to this Masters tour. So Okay. So you came up with the topic again this week. So do you want to kind of give us the introduction? In what you, yeah. you what you were thinking about? Yes. So, uh, at first, I thought of this topic, and I was kind of joking, like, "Oh, this would be funny." And then the more I thought about it, I was like, "Ooh, maybe there's even things that would help me, <laughs> because I tend to uh, not think through things sometimes, uh, or play very quickly, and I don't think through all my plays." And then I realized afterwards, "Ooh." I did not think about the interaction that would happen if I did that or something differently. Uh, so I thought, you know what might be actually good to talk about is interactions between different cards or kind of the way like cards work and different mechanics. And I feel like even when we were going through this and talking about it and coming up with stuff, it was like, yeah, this actually is probably a very helpful thing uh, to to talk about and go over. So um, kind of have just some like general points and then together we came up with uh, a lot of like specific examples so we can work through those but I think overall just learning interactions and knowing more interactions just helps you make better plays in general you can make better informed plays and it gives you knowledge to play better against your opponent and what they could potentially be doing if you know uh, some of those interactions Yeah, so let's let's kind of go through some of those. Um, I guess where do you want to start? Do you just want to go down the list with uh, starting with dormant? Yeah, we can. Okay. Sure. Yeah. Um, I mean, I th I think some of these, including like we you just mentioned, we're going to talk about dormant cards. Um, it's also really good to think about this stuff when you are evaluating a card. Or, like last week's topic, if you're thinking about a card that you want to include in a deck, um, trying to think about how the interaction with that card actually works is pretty important. Like, I brought up Res Priest last week. Um, so, for an example, Dormant cards. Well, if you're playing something like Res Priest, if you're looking to include a card because you want it for a rush or you want it as a taunt minion you probably don't want to run something like a dormant card because when that gets brought back or resummoned, it comes back dormant. Uh, that, that feels like something that I think most people probably know by now, but I feel like it's something that's good to think about because, yeah, you might not realize and then put it in your deck and it's like, oh, whoops, that, that didn't work the way I wanted it to. Yeah, yeah, I think like... Um... At least I was very familiar with that when, when Cube Priest was a thing. Because um, sometimes you would put, um, like, uh, Grave Runes on a uh, the, the, the dormant Rush minion. And that was really good for Priest because then you, could, you always had a target for Apotheosis. So, like, so it worked in that scenario. But, yeah, so knowing... Knowing that and then picking out, um, you know, the minions that you feel like, all right, okay, yeah, that that is good because that minion has rush. But if it didn't have rush, then I probably wouldn't be playing this minion. So I I know I always hope this next one worked differently, but you know, pen flinger, 
because um, there's a lot of different interactions with Pen Flinger, right? Like, there's... Uh, yeah. Some of them are less intuitive than the others. Um, like, Wild Pyromancer. Like, it pisses me off because it looks like it dies and then it pops back to your hand. I'm like, I hate that. <laughs> so when you play Pen Flinger and Wild Pyromancer and then play a spell... It goes back to the hand because spell burst for some reason goes off before the wild pyromancer charge. So I guess that's um, spell burst goes off before the effect of the wild pyromancer, and that's what it is. Um, I get I get in trouble I get in trouble because I think that uh, the Risky Skipper is going to act the same way as the Wild Pyromancer <laughs> with the Pen Flinger. Nope. And that is not the case. That is correct. The Pen Flinger will, in fact, die, even if you're really fast on casting that spell afterwards. <laughs> yep, that is 100% accurate. No matter how fast you cast it, it still dies. Yep. I feel like we are all talking from experience there. Like, I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure we have all done that. It's like, okay, cool. Yeah, skipper and play well, that. And then, cool. I mean, we're talking about a scenario with Wild Pyromancer that is is not necessarily, I think, uh, the intuitive way you would expect that interaction to work. And so you're right. kind of yeah. fudging on... Uh, on it or kind of cheating the system a little bit uh in getting the getting the uh the pen flinger back and and if you have that in your brain and then start thinking you can apply that in other situations that's not always going to be the case it's going to work as as you would expect or as as you would think in other situations it's just that particular instance and that trigger effect that pyromancer has works differently than say other trigger effects that work. Yeah, apparently spell burst is set to go off or set goes off before the wild pyromancer effect. So that's yeah, why that after, works. The after yeah. effect. So yeah, I, I'm not sure why that is or how that if that was just a, an intentional design, but like because spell burst is you know, this effect goes off it happens after a spell is cast. So like I'm not sure why it doesn't, but that's just how it works. So, yeah. Um, well, I can tell you the next one uh, from the hunter point of view. Please sucks. do. If you are a hunter and you have a pressure plate out and they are using pen flingers, this is especially like uh, with uh, like broom paladin. Yeah, the pressure plate can trigger, hit the pen flinger, and then. Their spell burst effect happens, and the penflinger still goes back to their hand. And as the hunter, you are very, very mad because you're like, well, that was a waste of my secret, and now that went back to their hand instead of killing their 8-8 taunt divine shield that was the only other minion on the board. Well, the fact that it diffuses a secret for free. Like, it essentially is a free diffusal. I I don't I don't necessarily agree how with how that works, but that's how the chain works with spellburst. So, yep. Um, what about secret passage? How does it how does it work with secret passage? So this is another interesting one um, because I feel like this is also kind of uh, not intuitive. At least I, it wasn't for me. Uh, so I thought, okay, I'm going to play Penflinger, play Secret Passage, it'll go back to my hand, and then it, along with all my rest of my hand, is going to go back into the deck. But that's not how it works. You play the Penflinger, you play Secret Passage, the spell f- goes off first, does, you know, psh, sets your hand aside, gives you four cards, and then essentially that spell is now resolved and then the spell burst happens and puts that pen flinger back in your hand with the now four cards from Secret Passage. Yeah, there's there's a lot of interactions with pen flinger that it pays to uh it pays to know what's going to be going on with that. So um let's look at a corrupt card in Strongman. This is a a specific one, but when it is corrupted, it becomes a zero cost uh minion so anything that 
changes it into a minion of lower cost, either, you know, aka devolve or devolving missiles. Um, it becomes another zero, zero cost minion, a one one. So it becomes a wisp or a snow flipper, penguin, or wherever you're playing. It becomes something else. It loses its its ability. So does not go in as a seven cost minion. It goes as a zero cost minion. So um, yeah, and that's a little different than other cards, but that's where you have to really look at the wording because Strongman says become a zero cost minion as opposed to other things that just decrease the cost of something. Um, yeah, this like, was something that like early on in the expansion when people were playing a lot of Strongman and there was a lot of a mage that were playing Devolving Missiles. Uh, I won multiple games by actually just playing Strongman as a seven cost minion. Uh, would they when the mage was pretty low in health, and then they would play devolving missiles? Oh well, now I have a like four cost minion, and I still get to hit them in the face for lethal because that was not the what they expected it to be. Yeah, yeah. So like things like um, Yasharaj, like that's different because like uh, the corrupted like carnival clown, it costs zero this turn or anything else that comes back to your hand cost zero that turn but they get their nine cost when they go onto the board and strongman still costs zero so like that is something to keep in mind too that like your carnival clowns will go back to costing nine next turn but this turn your strongman or, you know playing your strongman for zero may not be a, the worst idea that turn so okay uh dragon bane um <laughs> How many times have you had this happen to you, Dragon Rider? I'm just curious. Oh, so many times, and it's so sad, and I hate it because, as a priest or as a as a hunter player, priest is like I either smork them down or they get a bunch of healing, and then I can't win, and I'm sad. Yeah. So, what we're speaking of is if a priest is able to get. A copy of your Dragon's Bane. Um, several different ways. You could do Cabal, Acolyte. You could do Wave of Apathy, Wave of Apathy, Cabal Shadow Priest, Mindfire Cars, Soul Mirror. Thought Steel. Thought Steel. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's a lot of different ways a priest can get your yeah. card. So, the but when, when the ability goes off, if you put Apotheosis on it, that also heals them for five. So that just um, gets nutty real quick. <laughs> becomes a five, becomes a five, eight with lifesteal that heals for another five when they heal something for two. So I feel like, have you seen that before, Mage? I feel like you've seen that before. I've, I've definitely, uh, I think of actually way back in the day when, when Frostlitch Jaina was a card and you'd get Baron Geddon and be able to heal all that damage, all the, all the damage. So we've seen this before. This isn't, this isn't new, but it's not necessarily something you think about on a, on a game to game basis because, uh, you know, life steals relatively new and, and like, uh, you know, just getting healing effects from cards that don't normally give healing tends to be a bit, kind of kind of crazy and so yeah anytime anytime you can add lifesteal to something they're not it's not just when they attack but if they have a way of doing damage some other way it it provides the healing that way too and becomes incredibly infuriating in the process i will say yeah. at having done this interaction i give it a 10 out of 10 would recommend <laughs> Well, yeah, yeah, because you're speaking from the priest side of that. Exactly. <laughs> it was great. I had a really good time with this interaction. Well, that actually kind of reminds me of even Mage saying that, like, we've also seen this with uh, putting healing on Wild Pyromancer, right? It does, you know, you cast a spell, something, and then you get all of that healing. And I, I feel like that is a little bit more commonly known now. But yeah. When people were first figuring that out, it's like, you'd see it, and you're like, what? They just healed for, like, 
15 they just reno jackson without playing reno jackson yeah they Uh, cleared my board and healed what has happened so yeah um and and one point that i had overall is knowing things like this like in that priest matchup or maybe a probably really in priest again as well but knowing things like this for specific matchups can help you a lot too because then you can go into certain matchups kind of knowing hey, that might be something they want to do, and I want to try to make sure that they don't or can't or that I make plays that might benefit me instead of them in that situation. It, it allows you to get more out of out of your cards. That's extra value that you can get out of your cards. And so from the from the priest standpoint, obviously this is a is a way to add more healing, you know, above and beyond just an apotheosis. That's, that's extra ways of, of, you know, clearing the board and healing that you maybe don't have to put in the deck or, you know, you can kind of, I guess, fudge your way to allow yourself to continue in a game when, when, when things might look dire. Exactly. I think that should be like the motto of priest. I feel like you should just slap that on a t-shirt and call it good. (laughs) Hey, you could do that. I'd buy it. <laughs> wow, you sounded really sad. <laughs> <laughs> um, so here's a here's a super good one to know. Secrets on board will not be discoverable, and this goes. You have it listed from rifle, but this goes for anything that will discover a secret. Um, so like uh, ring toss, like if you have a counter spell up on ring toss. It will not discover a ring, you know, a um, a um, another counter spell. Like one thing I know that I've done playing with Mage since Ring Toss has come out. If I'm playing a more controlly deck with it, I will play Ring Toss before I play my ice uh, ice barrier in my hand, just so because if I can get another heal out of an ice barrier that wasn't in my deck. And I get to save that that for another turn. That's you know, so that's something to keep in mind. Also, like face stalkers too. Face stalkers. It's probably a good idea if you have a face stalker to hit the hero power button before you swing with the rifle, because that'll. Yep. Go ahead, mage. Oh, sorry. I was just I was just gonna say. So this is specifically to cards that are going to then play the secret that turn. Yes. So. Uh, you can play something like that, the one mana one one that discovers a secret. And if you have a have a secret up, because it's going to put it in your hand as opposed to playing it, you can actually discover the same secret as the one you already have in play. But it's specifically Ringling's Rifle that's going to then play the secret immediately after you select it. Or, or Ring Toss, yep. which is going to immediately play the secret uh one once once you're done selecting selecting one or two whichever yes i should i should have led with that yes i should have led with that so thank you yeah yes and like i said we're we're saying when when uh mage came in with that too so um duplicates won't get pulled from your deck with with um face stalker so if you play face stalker or the um the three cost the three cost two two that also plays a secret from your deck. Like if you have a secret up, like or you play that first, then Ringling's not going to pull it will not allow you to select or discover that secret. So like if you're looking for something very specific, you can kind of make decisions on what you know is in your hand, what's still in your deck and what your secret pool will look like um, when you swing with the rifle. So, very interesting. That that card is super interesting. I think it's a super cool card. So, um, Dragon Rider, you want to tell us about this next one? <laughs> All right. Yeah. Uh, so I had actually forgotten about this uh, this interaction until I do it. You know because. That's how I am. But Mage reminded me today that I even happened on stream today. I played a Zephyrus. I was like, playing against a Mage. Okay, cool. 
They've got a couple secrets. I'm going to play the Zephyrus. I'm going to get Flare. I'm going to get rid of those secrets. Uh, no, not so fast. They had a counterspell up. And this interaction, the counterspell actually does counter the Flare. So the counterspell stopped the Flare from working. And then all the other secrets that they had up were still on, were still on their side of the board. And then I was sad. I feel like a lot of these interactions are just making me sad. <laughs> Why did I do this? Well, uh, yeah. it's not intended. It happens to all of us. It's it's yes. just yeah. You 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 get flares so you can destroy your opponent's secrets with a spell, and then the spell gets countered so they don't. Act. You know, you got rid of one of them, but there's still uh, potentially others that are on the board. So. And you don't get to draw the card either, so that kind of sucks. Yeah. Mage, you want to talk about the next one? Sure. So, uh, is, speaking of secrets, if there are two or more secrets that are in play and can be triggered by the same action, um, the secret that was played first will trigger first. And a, gr- a good example is or ordering, I'm going to use the same two secrets that we're going to talk about two scenarios. Explosive Trap and Freezing Trap. If you play Explosive Trap and then Freezing Trap and a minion attacks your face, the Explosive Trap will go off and then the Freezing Trap will go off. Second. Um, and and it or it won't go off, I guess, if the if the minion dies. Correct. Right? Yes, that's correct. And, but if you play freezing trap first and then play an explosive trap, if a minion attacks your face, the minion will f- be frozen first, and the explosive trap will not trigger unless another minion attacks your face. So it it's. It seems like because you played the same two secrets that it shouldn't matter. It should work the way the same way both cases, but it does actually make a difference which one you played first uh, because it can have dramatically different, um, dr- dramatically different outcomes. Yeah, and, and that's something to think about too. Like if you're playing against a hunter, let's say that did that, and you think it might be freezing and explosive, uh, and maybe you attack with one minion and that freezing triggers don't count that second one out as not being explosive. You can't just immediately say, oh, well, I attacked face, that didn't trigger, it's not explosive, because that freezing trap triggered first, so it actually still could be explosive trap. So, yeah, knowing these interactions, that's where, you know, that's a great example of where if you know that, it might affect what your next play is or what you do next, because, you know, maybe you now have a buff or something that you want to play which maybe you should have played first, but you know, regardless that it's still something that you need to stop and think about before you decide what to do next, because you can't count it out. Precisely. So here's another corrupted based one. And this is a mistake I have made. Um, if you play survival of the fittest after you play nature studies, so survival of the fittest all of a sudden costs nine and you're counting on that to corrupt your carnival clowns, it will not. You will just have three eight eight carnival clowns. Um, because all of a sudden nine is equal to nine and not greater than nine. So um something to keep in mind if you're playing um Carnival Druid or uh Guardian Animals Druid, whatever version it is, if you're playing Something that runs uh, <laughs> Carnival Clowns, it has to be a 10-cost card to corrupt it, unless you can make it cheaper some other way. So, And the re- yeah. this is a reduced cost. The reduced cost effect applies to all corrupted cards. If you drop something, like the Strongman, for example, if you play a cheaper 7-cost uh, uh, Guardian Animals, that doesn't corrupt Strongman. So... So that just keep in mind with the corrupted cards. If you make your cards cheaper somehow, um, that that affects corruption. Uh, one one thing like with the with the paladins with with the librams, you have the librum of justice, the seven mana weapon, uh, and 
Librem of Hope, because it costs more at its base price, they both reduce at the same rate. Uh, that Librem of Hope is still going to be able to corrupt the Librem of Justice because you can't reduce the cost of one without rec reducing the cost of others. So, um, it, yeah, something, something, something to consider. Consider there. Yeah, it always. It there's no way it won't. Well, I guess there's a possible way that I can't think of, but generally, if you play a Wisdom or a Librem of Hope, then the weapon's also going to be corrupt, or is going to be corrupted and have life steal. Um, now, there is a way to manipulate and make things different. Um, Mage, you brought this one up. Do you want to talk about that? Because I haven't played as much Rogue. Oh, I... So, so I played a lot of the the aggro Rogue uh, last week. I actually hit Legend with it. Um, and uh, it's ultra, ultra aggro, but it uses the self-sharpening sword. It's, it's And uh, one of the... the, the you know, when you're going to run self-sharpening sword, you're going to run all the uh, weapon buff cards like the new Nitro Boost Poison. And uh, Nitro Boost Poison corrupts if you play a card that costs more than one mana. But you can actually corrupt it with a one cost mana if you prep before you play the one cost minion or spell or, well, specifically the minion, a one cost minion, you... If you play prep and then you play a one cost minion because nitro boost poison is zero mana at that point, it does in fact corrupt and then you can immediately play it uh, for zero mana after the fact. So we talked about deck hand. You, if you play prep and then you play deck hand and then you play the nitro boost poison, you can do, you can, you get a four attack deck hand. You got your Three attack dagger or you know your plus two on your weapon and you can go to town with just two cards and one mana so uh i did that a few times it, it works really slick but yeah it's just a matter of order of operations there with regards to playing cards and realizing that you know the corruption works based on cards that cost more and so if you can reduce the cost of your nitro boost poison then it doesn't you know you can you can make other things uh, corrupt it that are that cost less. Yep. Um. So so this this one isn't uh entirely intuitive, but it's just the way things trigger. Things generated after playing Secret Passage will stay in your hand at the end of the turn. So anything you generate, um, like your uh. You don't see a lot anymore, but evil miscreants will generate things that will the lackeys will stay in your hand. Um where the the if you generate an evocation and you play evocation, um everything that was the mage spell all the mage spells will stay in your hand. So keep that Which, in mind. That's an interesting one because that one actually if you do get an evocation Put those in your hand. Normally, those go away at the end of the turn, mm -hmm. but those actually then get shuffled into your deck and stay there instead yeah. of actually going away. So that's like like another level to that interaction. That is like first time you see it, you're like, "Whoa, what? <laughs> that's weird." Yeah. So so we're kind of talking about two different scenarios here. The, the first was mm -hmm. just generating cards with cards that like uh, in your hand after you've played the secret passage, like wand thief, like evil miscreant, all those cards that you generated after you played the secret passage will stay in your hand when you, you, the rest of your hand comes back and the cards that, that were pulled because of secret passage will return to your deck. The other thing with evocation is amazing because you can play evocation, get all these extra cards in your hand that should go away at the end of your turn. Then you play the secret passage. It temporarily yes, that's right. yeah. puts those cards away, grabs you four cards from your deck. And then at the end of your turn, when those secret passage cards get put back into your deck, all those mage spells that you got from evocation that should have been discarded at the end of your turn are actually 
still in your hand because the end of turn effect got got uh, happened. The end your turn ended before the secret passage put those cards back in your hand, so they're just there. Yeah, and you get them for the rest of the game. Exactly. Yes, that's what I was. I'm sorry, I didn't, I didn't go. It's been a while I since I've seen that. <laughs> yeah, I know. I jumped the. I I knew that's how that worked. And I just couldn't quite. I was getting. I was confusing myself there because I didn't have that written down. But I knew that was one of the ones I wanted to talk about. Um, also, with secret passage, uh, corrupting a card will also allow it to stay in your hand. So if you corrupt a nitro boost poison, it stays in your hand. It does not go back to your deck. So that, that's really handy too. Yeah. Is if you draw like a two mana minion and you have nitro boost poison in your hand, both of those cards uh, you want to keep, but you only have two mana. You just play the two mana minion and the nitro boost poison will corrupt and it'll stay in your hand and won't get shuffled back in with the other secret passage cards. So I didn't even know that one until we were doing our notes and you typed that in and was like, wait, what? And again, that's probably my little bit of lack of experience with rogue lately, but that just shows like how important knowing these things are, or even if you see your opponents doing these things, trying to pay attention to what they're doing and what's happening with interactions like that can help you learn and understand those things because yeah, I didn't even know that. Exactly. Just just paying attention to what's in their hand, seeing how many cards come back. So, um, this is one of the older ones, but it's definitely important to talk about since Zephyrus is still in play. Silencing a frozen minion allows you to attack with it, and you don't see this a whole lot anymore. But like that is still sometimes an out offered by Zephyrus, a silence. Uh, and you're like, why? What would I silence here? Like, it doesn't. Oh, I can silence my own guy, and he swings face, and then I win. Um, but you have to keep in mind too, silencing a minion with modified stats will return the minion to its base stats. So, um, that does not work with Questing Adventure or Edwin Van Cleef or any of the really modified ones like a natural eight, eight feels real good to do that on, but, um, uh, not so much on an Edwin or a questing adventure. Cause those guys go back to being two twos and you're like, uh, was that worth it? <laughs> so, um, just got a couple quick more ones real quick. Minions with spell burst has to survive for the spell burst to go off. Which is really the counterintuitive thing about um, the wild pyromancer, but why that why this is different is because this if we're talking about a spell that kills something like you can't have a a Kalthazad on the board and cast Twisting Nether and have his spell burst effect go off like the the card cannot be killed by the spell that you cast. So that's what's different is the fact that it's not, it's not the spell. It's not getting killed by the spell. The spell is going off. So it pops before then. So uh, I know that's a, a weird one. Um, another important one too, um, is bombs can't trigger when in your deck when you have a a full hand a bomb drawn when you have 10 cards in your hand is just a card that gets discarded it gets burned you don't take any damage you don't draw an additional card it's essentially like <laughs> if your hand's full and you can keep your hand full and you're playing against a bomb warrior um all of a sudden that's a real strategy because you can lock them out and you can all of a sudden they put eight cards in your deck that you're going to burn one at a time. So that's, that's the real difference. So that's something very important because bomb warrior was pretty prevalent a few weeks ago. So yeah, it's, it's not the most intuitive thing you think because it triggers when drawn that you would take that damage, but because 
you have a full hand, you're not technically able to draw a card, you just mill a card. The milling of the card actually supersedes the trigger effect when it's drawn. So there, there are uh, there are definitely rogues that can generate a lot of cards that allow you to, to leverage that to be able to potentially keep yourself in a game against uh, a warrior that's playing with, with bombs. Priests can do it. Yeah, anything that can like yeah. really generate some cards, like so, or cards that replace themselves, like um, any of the studies cards will do it because it'll play a card. You play a card and it replaces itself in hand. So, yep. or if you're able to draw, you know, <laughs> turns out if you if you want to burn some card, burn some bombs on your deck. So, it's another way to look at it too. So. I mean, are there any other we this these were all the interactions we could come up with off the top of our heads and thinking about it all day. Mage, you have one more? An- another another thing with secret passage and with bombs. If you, you play secret passage and draw a bomb, it's just a five mana spell that is in your hand till the end of your turn because it doesn't it doesn't do the you don't technically draw the cards that you pull from your deck when you play secret passage. So you, if, if you're looking for that last little bit of damage to kill a bomb warrior and you have secret passage, you can secret passage to try and find it because you won't trigger the bomb damage. If you happen to pull a bomb with secret passage, it's, it, it seems a little weird, but yeah, you don't technically draw the bomb when you play secret yeah. passage. It's a little counterintuitive, but yep. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, so that's, that's what we came up with. And I mean, those knowing your interactions and reading your cards and understanding what they do, like the secret ones are. Yeah. I mean, those are one of the most important ones that you can keep in, in, in mind just because you don't know what secrets are. And as you're playing them, if you want things, if you can read and know what the opponent is trying to do or have a good read of what they can do, being able to order secrets that tra- trigger on the same thing, um, really important. And knowing how to like mess with people just on how you play things and whatnot. So, um definitely definitely worth knowing your secrets and you know a few of those other things just so you can keep in mind whether you're playing against things like that or you're playing or or you are playing those things so you have an understanding of how your deck works so you can play it to the um optimum way possible so uh, you meant you had one other note here dragon rider that i that i that i don't know if we talked about real quick but definitely pay attention to the wording on cards specifically when you're talking about all minions versus other minions versus friendly minions you know there's there's definitely differences and uh you know sometimes sometimes you you might expect something to happen and it ends up being differently just because of the word all or other or friendly or you know, just just one word can cha- can entirely change uh, what can happen as a result of playing a card. You know, I think about battle cries that that have these these sort of effects or spells that have these effects, and uh, and, and so just one word can make all the difference. So make sure that you're you're paying attention to the wording on those cards. Yep. Okay. Mage, do you want to go into this week's poll question since we have BlizzCon online coming up? We do. We are just days away from BlizzCon Online, and we've got a teaser trailer. We've got, you know, this information from last week about a core set that is coming. So what we want to know is what do you most want to see announced at BlizzCon Online? Do you want to see some course, more core set information? Do you want to see information about the new game mode that was st- that's still supposed to be coming during Year of the Phoenix? 
Do you want to see a new expansion announcement? These are these are all things that we could see. We could see all these things. But which one do you want to see? Or is there something I did not mention that you'd be really excited and want to see announced more than anything else at BlizzCon? Vote. Let us know. If you have an other, please reply and tell us what it is. And we will talk about the results on next week's show. Speaking of the show, you can find us on Twitter at Dr3HS. You can follow our top pin tweet that will take you to our Discord. And you can email the show at Dr3HS at gmail.com. You can find myself on Twitter at Daring Alkaline and randomly streaming uh, stuff on Twitch. I've been streaming De- Demon Souls lately, so... You want to see me get angry? Um, you can come hang out at twitch.tv forward slash daring alkaline. Dragon Rider. You couldn't yep. find a tougher game to play than, than Dark Souls. Um, that's, I'm that's... I'm also playing Sekiro too. So like, <laughs> oh, yeah, no, I, are, I've, are you just trying to like you know bang your head against a wall while playing on? Twitch? Yeah, I've got I've got a list of souls. I've got Code Vein. I've got Dark Souls Three. I've got a whole list of things I can line that I've lined up um, that I can get very upset with. <laughs> He's Hearthstone too calm is now. Yeah, yeah Hearthstone's frustrating enough. <laughs> I don't know that I could handle going down the route of anything more frustrating than that. But <laughs> kudos to you, sir, that you're willing to do that and and have people watch you do it in the process. <laughs> yeah, one hundred percent agree. Because yeah, that's that's difficult. Yes. Um, yeah, uh, you can find me on Twitter at Donnie DK. That's D A W N I E D K, and streaming uh, pretty much during the week now uh, on Twitch at twitch.tv slash DK. And I just recently started, I think yesterday, uh, I, I revealed it. Maybe it was today. I don't even know. All the days blur together. But um, I'm now going to be trying to add in some coaching. So for anybody that subs at the tier two level, they will get a fr- well, I don't even want to say free because they, they did the tier two, sub, <laughs> but um, you'll get a one hour coaching per month that you're at that tier two and tier three subs will get three hours of coaching uh, per month. So if you are interested in that, and would like to you know, get some coaching from me, then that is an easy way to do it. Awesome. And mage, where can we find you? You can find me on Twitter. I'm at Mage of Death. And Monday, Wednesday, Friday, you can find me on Twitch at twitch.tv slash Mage of Death. Okay. All right, guys. Well, thanks for tuning in this week. And as always, you've been listening to Dr. Three. Will we be ready? Hmm, I need to modify this bomb a bit.